What I'd like to do is I'd like you, if you have your Bibles there or uh, maybe an app or something like that, go to Mark 14. Um, for those of you who are normally part of our church family, uh, we know some other people are tuning in as well. But for those of you who are normally part of our church family, you know that we're going through uh, a series in Mark, and we've come to chapter 14. And uh, what I hope to do is just read through some of this and discuss it with you for a few minutes this morning. Uh, it's, a, it's an important text, and hopefully it ministers to your soul. So in Mark 14, I'm going to read verses 53 through 72, and uh, you follow along in your copy of the scriptures as, as I read. It says this, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask for your blessing as we've read your word now, and I have the privilege of talking about it. I pray that I would be faithful to your text here, to your word, and that what I communicate would be true to this text, and that it would be helpful uh, for those who are listening and watching, that we may be able to uh, make specific application uh, from this text to our own lives. But we know that your spirit is the one that has to do that. Your spirit has to use your word to challenge us and to change us. And I pray that we would be open to that and we'd be receptive and we would be looking for your spirit to do what only you can do. 
And so as I try to communicate now, I pray that I would be led by your, your spirit and by your will, and that whatever I say would be uh, helpful uh, to those who listen, but most importantly, honoring to you. For you are worthy of all worship and devotion. And now, thank you for this, this, this time that we have, and I pray that you'd be pleased. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. There's a movie called Hidden Figures. Maybe you've seen it. And it's about uh, these mathematicians who, these, particularly these three ladies that are focused in the movie, but and it was about the space missions and how that they had to uh, put together, even do uh, complex math equations by hand. Uh, the computer was just coming onto the scene, uh, but it needed to be verified by these ladies. And, and there's a scene in the movie, and there's a couple scenes where they talk about this idea of what's called the no-go-zo, go, uh, no uh, no-go zone. And that is where they have to make a decision of, of when uh, the, the spaceship can enter or leave the orbit. And there's a great mathematical equation that they're trying to figure out. And so throughout the movie, they're talking about this no-go uh, or no-go zone. It's like, this is a defining moment. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Um, in our text today, we have two people who are living out a defining moment in their lives. Um, both Peter and Jesus, who we've just read about, were in situations that were like a, a go or a no-go zone for them. There was a, a moment where their lives had come to this point, and, and whether they were going to continue forward or they were not going to continue forward, uh, it, was, it was a compelling and a crucial moment in both of their lives. And so we have to ask ourselves, or we look at the text, and we say, well, how did they respond to these well, on the one hand, it's obvious, right? Jesus hits the home run and Peter strikes out, right? But on the other hand, there's some important lessons to learn if we look a little bit deeper. And so what I hope to do for the next few minutes is compare Jesus and Peter's response to these defining moments in their lives and how then that can have influence on us in our lives. And so let's start with Jesus. And so we see with Jesus is that he stayed on mission in his defining moment. Okay, so it was when Jesus comes to this place, and we've already read in our study how he was in the garden, and he was praying, and the disciples were asleep, and, and we went through all that. We already talked about the upper room and the Last Supper, which became the Lord's Supper. And here in the garden, he's been, uh, the guards have taken him away, and now he's going before the judge, and now he's going before the high priest, and now he's going to be put on the, this preliminary trial, if you will. And, and this is a defining moment for Jesus, and he has some decisions to make. You have to remember, because we often talk about Jesus' deity, and we believe that about Jesus, but as we've mentioned in our series before, is that we have to think about his humanity as well. And there was some great temptations in this moment, I believe. I believe that in this moment, Jesus, he had this temptation of, okay, maybe I don't go through this. And we saw a little bit about that in the garden. And, and yet he always went back to the Father. He always said, if there can be any other way to do this, let it be so. But nevertheless, not my will, but your be done, yours be done. And, and we see that, that same devotion to the Father's will right here in this, in this place where he's standing before the high priest here. And, and it's interesting that there's a few things that could have moved him off his mission, and yet he did not move off mission. He did not sacrifice the plan that God had set up for him, even though these things were happening. And one of those was that injustice didn't move him off mission. 
If you look at the text here, you see that, first of all, this trial was a sham. This wasn't, there was nothing legal about what was happening here. It was in the middle of the night. And later on, we have a historic document that would outlaw this. And maybe it was because of this. But surely it was unusual. Surely it wasn't right that this trial would be brought up and that it was a complete sham. And this idea of injustice that just would probably would have infuriated any one of us. If we would have been in this position, this idea of being uh, misrepresented uh, in such a way that Jesus was. Uh, they say that, um, that the false witness against him was that they said, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple. Jesus never said that. Jesus didn't say, I am going to destroy this temple. He says that this temple will be destroyed and then it will be built up again. But he never said he was going to destroy the temple. They twisted the words and they misrepresented him. I don't know about you, but if I'm standing in this trial and I'm hearing people twist my words and I'm hearing people change what I've said that I've been very clear about, there would have been an overwhelming uh, pull to right that wrong and to put that injustice to rest. And furthermore, you look at this in several times, Mark records for us that these people who were giving testimony against Jesus, they couldn't even get their stories to agree. They, 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 were, they, they had these different um, versions of what were happening, and it just showed that this was a trumped up charges that were being brought before Jesus in this trial that was a sham. I would have been feeling this intense injustice and feeling like, wait a minute here, this is not right. But Jesus, he looked past that because the mission was greater. The mission was so much better than having his words correctly understood in that moment. And don't misunderstand me. He was a man of truth, of course. But his mission in that moment was not about uh, uh, putting uh, to uh, putting to rest any personal injustice that he might have been experiencing. And so we see he stayed on mission even in the midst of injustice, but also the desire for vindication. And this is closely related to what I just said, but his desire for vindication didn't move him off mission. I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 61, uh, when he's asked, the high priest is asking him questions, he remains silent and does not give an answer. He doesn't feel the need to vindicate his own name and to vindicate his position in his teaching. I don't know if you can imagine the burning desire in your soul in that moment. If you know the truth, if you know what is right, and you know that your motives are pure, and you know that you're simply doing the right thing, and yet it's being twisted, and yet your words are being twisted against you, I would want to speak out and vindicate my name. I would want to put to rest all the false testimony that was being said against me. But you see, Jesus didn't do that because he understood what the mission was. You see, the mission wasn't to overthrow the Romans. The mission was not to, to overthrow religious leaders. His mission was to become a ransom for our sins. And so that was his primary mission. And so he stayed true to this. And so in this defining moment of Jesus that we have here coming out of the garden and coming out of what he was dealing with and all the temptations and all the pressures and all the difficulties that he was dealing with, in this defining moment, Jesus stood on mission. 
And to prove that, he had to make sure that the mission was accomplished. And so the false testimony wasn't going to get that done. And so it was Jesus' own words. It was his own testimony that kept him on mission. Let me direct your attention back to verse 61 and 62. They ask him more questions after he's silent for a time. And so there's a very direct question that's asked of him. Are you the one? Are you this Messiah? Are you the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah? And he says, I am. And not only does he say, I am, although that would have been enough, he goes on to include there saying that you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus claims here to be the Messiah one, and he takes it even a step further because in general, the Jews didn't really expect the Christ or the Messiah one to be literally divine. And so what Jesus does, though, is he kicks it up a notch, so to speak. And he talks about being the Son of Man, that you will see the Son of Man seated. And in Daniel 7, they would have understood this, that this is talking about the Son of Man who who comes from the throne of God, okay? And he, he comes to earth in the clouds of heaven to judge the world. And the clouds of the heaven are not the same way that we think of clouds in terms of water vapor and things like that. This is referring to what is known as the Shekinah glory of God and the very presence of God. And so what Jesus says in the statement here is he says that I will come to the earth in the very glory of God and judge the entire world. That's the idea of sitting at the right hand. He says, I am going to be the judge here. And so of all the metaphors that Jesus could have used and of all the things that he could have said, he picked this idea of being judged from the very presence of God. It was his own testimony. It wasn't other people's testimony. It wasn't, it wasn't the other people's charges and, and uh, their words because they couldn't get that to agree. Jesus stayed on mission so much that he said, I am going to give you everything you need to condemn me and even more. He called himself God. He put that out there. He says, I am not just the, only the, the human Messiah that many people are understanding but, or, or anticipating. I am God, and I am going to judge. What a paradox in this moment, right? Here we have Jesus, the judge over the entire world, yet he is being judged by the entire world right now. Here he is, he says, I have come from the very presence of God and and have the glory of God and and I will sit at the right hand in a position of judgment over you, but yet I'm willingly submitting myself to your judgment. You see, in this defining moment, Jesus stayed on mission. He didn't waver from it one minute, one in, in the slightest way. Now, when Jesus does this and he says this, This turns, the trial immediately turns into a riot. You see people uh, tearing their garments, which was the idea or an expression of either intense grief or anger. And this is what was happening here. People start beating Jesus and they they put a blindfold over his face and they say, prophesy. Basically, they're saying, who's hitting you right now? And they're spitting on him. The trial has, has, it hasn't gone. Um, it was no longer about finding out whether or not Jesus could be condemned. It was about putting him to death as fast as possible. And we know that that was the intention all along, though. 
But now the, the sham was off. Now the facade was removed. And now Jesus was being led away. And in the meantime, Peter's watching from a distance. But what I wanted to say before I moved to Peter is that Jesus knew his mission and he did not waver from it. Instead, he overcame any temptations that came his, his way to move off that mission or to, to vindicate himself or to uh, make sure that he was uh, correctly understood. And he overcame all that to ensure that the Father's plan was accomplished. And so the question I have before we move to Peter, though, is do you feel a similar drive? to fulfill God's plan for your life. We all have the same mission of sorts. Love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Love our neighbors ourselves. We're told as Christians, we're to fulfill the, the great commission and go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're told to love each other, as I mentioned. There's many of the one, other, one another's in scriptures in, that we talk about here, about bearing with one another and helping one another, encouraging one another, all these type of things, meeting each other's needs. The, these, this is the mission that God has called us to. And are we as devoted to our mission as Jesus was to his? And so this is a lesson that we can learn from this, is that whatever the mission is, that we need to be devoted to it. Kids who are watching at home, your mission is pretty simple. The Bible says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It says to honor your father and mother. And so that's a mission for you that God has given to you. He says, I want you to fulfill this mission. I want you to listen to your parents. I want you to love your parents. I want you to learn from them. I want you to respect those in authority. And that's not just for the kids. It's for all of us, right? Respecting those in authority. And so we have all these different ways that we know what the scriptures are teaching about our mission in life. And so are we, like Jesus, laser focused on this? Do we have an understanding of what Jesus is calling us to do? You see, Jesus understood why he was on this earth. And so we need to pray for that same clarity and devotion to our mission that Jesus had for his. In his defining moment, Jesus didn't blink. In this defining moment here, Jesus says, I am going to fulfill the Father's plan for my life. And I pray that's the same as that, that would be true of me, and it would be true of you as well. I told you we're going to do a comparison, though. So we've talked about Jesus. He hit the home run. Now let's talk about Peter, who we said, well, we know, obviously, he struck out, right? Well, what, uh, what I want to point out here is Peter, who is the rock here, is, that was his name, he showed he intensely struggled during his defining moment. So if Jesus stayed on mission, we see Peter has, having these intense struggles uh, for uh, his mission in life. So let's talk about that a little bit. How do we see this intense struggle? Well, first of all, we know that he doubled back to be with Jesus because we know that in the garden when the, when the, uh, the soldiers came and took Jesus away, we're told that all the disciples fled. They all left. And so Jesus was there alone. But here we see that Jesus, excuse me, that Peter is coming back. We see this in the first part of that, what we read. It says, and he, Peter, verse 54, followed him at a distance. And so after he ran away, after he ran out of fear, remember he had taken the sword and he tried to defend Jesus and he went and he cut off the, the soldier's ear, Malchus's ear, and Jesus healed him and says, don't do this. And then when the, the soldiers started taking Jesus, all the disciples ran away and they were afraid. But at some point, Peter doubles back. 
At some point, Peter stops his running and he turns around and he says, I got to be with him and I got to know what's going on. And he overcomes his fear and he comes back, or I should say he overcomes his fear a little bit and starts coming back. Um, This shows that his soul was going through some intense struggle, tremendous fear, tremendous doubt, tremendous uh, confusion, anxiety in his life. And he had made some wrong decisions and now he's coming back and he's trying to figure out what his next steps are. And you can just see that there is this intense struggle as he's trying to follow Jesus. I just, again, I just wonder if, if you feel that way. I feel that way in my discipleship of Jesus. I, there are some days where I feel like I can take on anything that hell will throw against me. And then other days, it just seems like the slightest little temptation or, disc, or, 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 or maybe a, a, a spoken word or whatever will be devastating and discouraging to me. And so I identify with Peter. While it's easy to look at Peter and say, oh man, he struck out here. Jesus, had, he, he stayed on mission. And Peter, man, it's, why did you do that? I, I identify with Peter so much. I understand this, this struggle of, I want to do what's right and running away and coming back. And we see this back and forth with Peter. And so maybe you can identify with that. And so what I want you to do, if you can, I want you to hang on to that moment. I want you to hang on to that thought for a minute. Because we're going to come back to this and hopefully be encouraging to you. But not only did he double back, and, we, and this is one of the ways that we see his intense struggle, but we also see his intense struggle is that, of course, that he denied his Savior. Three times, we look here in this text here, starting in verse 66 and following, Peter gets into the courtyard and um, a disciple, probably we think it was John, uh, got him access into the courtyard. Uh, It appears that Jesus was in uh, a balcony or in an upper room of sorts and that there was a large courtyard of where this high priest home was. And and so he was able to get in through a side entrance. John, uh, the Gospel of John, tells us some of these details of how that uh, they shut the gate and uh, John, the apostle, knew someone in the, the, the courtyard or in the palace and, and uh, was able to gain a, uh, entrance for himself and for Peter to get inside. And so they get inside and, and he's warm. Peter now is warming himself by the fire. And then someone comes up to him and says, wait a minute, you were with him. You were with him, weren't you? And he says, No. No, I wasn't. And of course, you know the story. You know how he denies knowing Jesus three different times, just as Jesus has predicted. But I think there's a lesson to learn in this, and that was Peter's temptation here came in a very unimpressive way. Uh, Peter had been saying that he was ready to die for Jesus. Peter was willing for these big, strong moments. But it was a servant girl who came up to him. It was a servant girl who... who He most likely was stronger then. And it was her question that caused him to crack. But but it's not so much about the servant girl that I want to point out. I want to point out the fact that she just asked the question of, do you know him? Were you with him? It it, it wasn't uh, even a a very specific question about his faith. There was was many ways that that Peter could have answered that question and still distance himself from Jesus. But he went all the way. And says, I don't even know this guy. And so it was devastating in this denial. Um, so there's this idea of him doubling back. We're seeing his internal struggle that way. We're seeing the fact that even at uh, a servant girl's question and light question, he denies his Savior. 
But then there's this other part of the struggle, and this is one of the most pathetic, and, and I mean that in, a, in the truest sense of the word. If it's just it's, um, it's soul-wrenching, if you will, when you read in verse 72, it says at the very end, and he broke down and he wept. You see, he was devastated by his sin. This is the internal struggle. It ends in devastation. It ends in him being just completely undone and devastated by the fact that he has denied his Savior. Luke tells us in Luke's account of this, and this is one of the most sad verses of Scripture. It says that when Peter denies Jesus this last time, that Jesus turns and he looks at Peter. No doubt Jesus was up there. They were getting ready to take him away. They probably bound his hands at this point, and they're moving him away. Peter is down in the courtyard, and as I'm, recollect, as I'm putting the pieces together, what I imagine is that Jesus looks down at Peter and sees him in the courtyard. Peter looks up and sees his Savior just looking at him. I don't think Jesus' look was one of anger. I think it was one of love, disappointment, hurt. I don't think he was mad at Peter. You remember earlier, Peter, Jesus had said to Peter that Satan had asked for you. He says, but I'm going to pray for you. I believe that one of the things Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane was he was praying for Peter. And here in that moment, he sees Peter denying him. And he just looks at him. Maybe it was an encouraging look. Maybe it was a look of saying, you can do this, I'm with you. But I think it was probably a hurtful look. One he loved, he just denied him. Jesus was staying on mission, and Peter was cracking. It was devastating to Peter. It was terrible. Peter went out and he, whips, he, he uh, weeps bitterly, and it was absolutely terrible. You know, following Jesus is hard. And this is what I can learn from Peter here. Following Jesus is really hard. There's going to be many temptations that come our way. Uh, temptations, they come from places we don't expect in most unimpressive ways. They trip us up. There'll be times where we're running away and there'll be times of doubling back. There's times of denial. There's times of devastation. And Peter's experience is our experience in many ways. And so there's the comparison. Like I said, Jesus hits the home run and Peter strikes out. Is that all there is to learn? I don't think so. Uh, there's one crucial detail that I need to share with you that I think makes this comparison very personal and powerful. And that is this, is that Jesus' defining moment enabled Peter to recover from his own defining moment. You see, Jesus stayed on mission. Peter did not. But because Jesus stayed on mission, because Jesus did what he was supposed to do, this defining moment of Peter would not be his last defining moment. In other words, since Jesus stayed on mission, Peter would have many more, much more successful defining moments in the future. Read through Acts chapter 1 through 5 and, and even in some subsequent chapters as well. Read through First and Second Peter and you will see how that Peter, he has many much more better and more successful defining moments. And the only way that that was possible was because Jesus did what he did. 
And so while we look at this comparison, we see Jesus hits the home run, Peter strikes out. That's not the end of this. That's not the main point. The main point is that because Jesus stayed on mission, when you and I, when we fail in our defining moments, that doesn't have to be the the, uh, ultimate defining moment of our lives. Because Jesus did what he did, we have hope and we have the opportunity to recover from those mistakes and those, those times of devastation, the times of intense struggle and denying even our God. And so let me bring this to a close. You know, all of us are going to find ourselves in that go, no-go zone. All of us are going to find these situations in life where we have to make some major decisions. Maybe it's, should I say something to this person about how they can have hope in Christ. You're feeling that internal struggle as you're hearing people talk about maybe even living in this COVID-19 environment that we live in, in this world that we live in right now. And you're trying to figure out, should I say something or should I not say something? It's a go, no-go zone. You're trying to figure it out. Maybe you're trying to keep your cool because you know it's the right thing to do. And you know, people are, 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 are living in more cramped quarters in some ways with their families and spending more time. And maybe there's rhythms of life that have been uh, upset now and trying to figure out how to not be irritated with each other, trying to figure out how to have compassion and love towards each other. These are go, no-go zones. These are moments where you know what the right thing to do is, but you know what you feel like doing. And you have these moments, these defining moments. Maybe it's you're trying to push through the rising anxiety that you feel in your life. Maybe you're, you're dealing with disappointments of how life has changed and maybe events that you've been looking forward to have been canceled or postponed. Or maybe there's uncertainty in your life and you're trying to fight through that anxiety and it's like, go, no, go. It's, do, I, do I respond how I know I'm supposed to respond or do I respond in, in how, I'm, how I feel that I want to respond? Maybe it's loving that hard person, that hard-to-love person, someone who is not being kind, someone who is not being gentle, someone who's not being uh, gracious to you, but you know you should still love that person and show love to that person. It's a go-no-go zone. And so we all find ourselves in these, and there's many more that you can think of. Sometimes you'll stay on mission by loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, or love your neighbor as yourself. But other times you'll crack under the pressure and feel the devastation of sin. But that does not have to be your defining moment. Your defining moment, if you're a believer in Christ, is not in those moments. Your defining moment happened a long time ago when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished. That's your defining moment. Your defining moment is Jesus' defining moment, that, that he did what was right. And so when we have these, these, these struggles in our Christian life and we're trying to follow God, we, we don't have to be defined simply by those times where we strike out. We are defined by what Christ has done for us. And so let me encourage you, if you know Christ, that's your defining moment. But if, if you're watching this broadcast or listening to this, and you don't know Christ as your Savior then your defining moment will be the rejection of Christ. And that is a defining moment you cannot recover from. That was the example of Judas. So let me encourage you, don't make that your defining moment, the ultimate one. Look to Christ. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Follow him. And yeah, you're going to have moments where that goes well, and you're going to have moments where that doesn't go so well. 
But if you put your faith in Christ and you ask God to save you, you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you, you attempt to follow him in his strength, then what Jesus did on the cross is the defining moment of your life, regardless of what else happens. So let me encourage you, as we compared Peter and Jesus in these defining moments, that Jesus' defining moment is what needs to be uh, our ultimate uh, hope as we try to follow Christ in this crazy world that we live in. Let me give you some homework. Uh, For those of you who are part of our church normally, you know that I often give homework at the end of a sermon. And let me just uh, give this to you. I'm going to leave it up on the screen for a minute, but, uh, um, and uh, you can download this as well. But let me encourage you to contemplate for 10 minutes. And I encourage you to set a timer. Set a timer, 10 minutes, just by yourself, and contemplate the question, what is my mission in life? You know, why are you here? You know, get a piece of paper. Write down, what is the reason that I am here? Think about it from a biblical lens, of course. Not just, uh, well, I want to have a successful business or things like that. Those are all good goals in life. But that, is that your mission in life? And so take 10 minutes and uh, uh, maybe put some headphones on or something. If you can just get 10 minutes and write that down, contemplate that, uh, look at it from a biblical point of view. That would be helpful to define that. So in these, these times, you know what you're supposed to be aiming towards. I would also encourage you, read through Acts 1 through 5. Read Acts 1 through 5 this next week. And what I want you to do is I want you to look for Peter's other defining moments that happened after Jesus fulfilled his mission. So, so look at how Peter is a different person because of what Jesus did. So read Acts 1 through 5. Look at other moments in Peter's life where you see how he responds in a much different way uh, after what Jesus did on the cross. And then I would encourage you to spend some time thanking God for the fact that Jesus stayed on mission. Take time to worship God. Take time to uh, uh, thank him for what he's done for us. So there we have it. We have comparing uh, a defining moment in Jesus' life and in Peter's life. And I hope that it's been helpful to you as we've looked at this passage of Scripture. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again next week. And we're grateful for the the medium of of live stream that we can talk about God's Word. And hopefully it's been a blessing to you. I'm going to pray and then we'll end the live stream. Father, thank you for allowing us to look at your word and thank you again for the the fact that Jesus stayed on mission and that has become my defining moment in my life. Not my my sin, but your forgiveness and your sacrifice. I want to worship you in that. I pray that this time has been helpful for those who are listening. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.